This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. everyone, welcome back to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shenko. And I'm Psych88. So today we're going to be talking about a little film from 2002, Spider-Man, directed by Sam Raimi and starring Tobey Maguire. In case this wasn't evident from our last several episodes, this is not a spoiler-free zone, and we have a lovely new spoiler warning from our lovely, lovely friend Genesis. If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry, lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Thanks, Jen. We really appreciate that. Thank you. And we are really, really, really happy. So thank you, thank you. Okay, so Spider-Man 2002. So we're talking about a film that's 20 years old now. Uh This is an origin story, a true to life origin story because i think where this differs from the x-men films that we've spoken about while we are being while we were being introduced to those characters for the first time in film they didn't really get full origins until later this is truly 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 the beginning of a superhero story and where we start is a high school trip for a young peter parker this film kind of tackles the struggles of being a teenager in high school and then also becoming a superhero and getting all these weird superpowers that you have no idea about and learning about yourself finding love and also supervillains <laughs> can't forget the supervillains absolutely i not. mean i think i missed that class in high school but yeah i don't know i think some of my teachers were super if you ask me uh, that probably is true <laughs> Anyway, um, we get to see Peter being a lovable dork. And personally for me at any rate, I think Tobey Maguire does a great job playing the nerdy, easy-to-pick-on, victimized Peter Parker that I think is very um, familiar to a lot of people and a very relatable thing to see. Someone a little bit separated from his peers, someone super intelligent, Um, Because even Sam's superpowers, Peter Parker is one of the most intelligent people in Marvel, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is considered one of the top ten smartest people in Marvel, uh, like across all heroes. Um, But he is also supposed to represent the everyman. It's hard to do uh, (laughs) when when you're smarter than basically almost anyone you meet. But yeah, he's, he's supposed to represent the everyman's woes while also being extremely gifted. Uh, He ends up on a field trip and taking pictures. He's crushing on this girl he can't talk to. He's shy. Uh, And his best friend is dating the same girl or, you know, crushing on the girl. Um, And they're, you know, they're going through the trip and they're to be educated. And every time Peter tries to take a picture, one of the bullies steps in and kind of shoves him to the side so that he can't get a good photo. We just see Peter absolutely miserable. Uh, That is until he 
gets a moment alone with Mary Jane, very quickly set up to be his crush and interest. And I think they do a really good job, flirty, but also very high school and very sweet. Mm-hmm. He ends up being brave enough to ask her if he can take some pictures, and then she ends up getting called away by some of her friends. And anyway, uh, after, you know, while he's taking the pictures of Mary Jane, a very sketchy-looking spider drops from the ceiling and gives him a little little nip right on the hand. And what does he do? He kind of shakes it off on the floor, it runs away, he watches it, and he looks at his hand, he's got a nice little welt, and, you know, they're at a arachnid lab at a experimental science lab. Yeah. I, you know, I think... again, in high school, I don't remember getting uh, special tours to a genetics firm, but, uh, yeah, hey, I, uh, I guess that's I think, the... Uh, I think that field trip was a little bit out of my budget. I think that field trip was out of all schools' budgets, but <clears throat> that's for another time. Um, <laughs> can we talk about that spider? Like, I guess I'm just a paranoid person, but there is no way in hell... <laughs> something that large is landing on my hand and biting me like superpowers be damned no <laughs> no you're absolutely right because it uh, and and on top of that if i get bitten by that spider and i see that bright red and that bright blue i'm going i'm in trouble i need the <laughs> hospital i'm not gonna go home and sleep it off all right i'm going all right this looks bad i don't feel good that spider looks sketch. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna seek medical attention, but it, he yeah. ends up. He goes home, and he's already like kind of out of it. Aunt May's like, "Do you want dinner?" And she goes, and he goes, "No, no, no I'm just, I'm just gonna go get some sleep. I'm, I'm, I'm wiped out. I'm tired." <laughs> and this uh, yeah, absolute uh, legend just goes upstairs. About, like, <laughs> yep. Yeah, the no, worst night I of might his be life. dying. I'm fine. <laughs> his man is dying <laughs> and he's sweating and just in pain miserable and he's mm-hmm. like i'm fine i don't need to i don't need to tell my aunt may to take me to the hospital i'm fine i'm just gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna sleep it off uh and then he wakes up and he goes to put on his glasses and he notices that when he puts his glasses on his vision is blurry and he takes him does this a couple of times and then he looks in the mirror and he realizes that he's jacked now uh and aunt may kind of calls up and she goes are you okay and he's like yeah i'm i'm fantastic yeah better than talk about a talk about euphemism for puberty hitting right like (laughs) puberty hit like a spider bite to the knuckle (laughs) (laughs) yeah but then you know hijinks ensue as his powers you know begin manifesting you know sticking to stuff and uh, you know, another euphemism for for some stuff happening in the that in the school cafeteria with the web shooters that are organic in his wrists, oh, um, and all that stuff. Yeah, the organic wrists. <laughs> like this movie came out in two thousand two, and every film has its downside, and those organic web shooters and just the visual of it spraying out his wrists is uh, yeah, that's it. That's the downside for me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I know that that was kind of a uh, directorial choice. Um, In the comics, it is established that he has web shooters, and we'll talk a lot about that uh, in the second part of the show. But I think, wasn't it a directorial decision not to make him build the web shooters? Because he thought that a high school student wouldn't be 
intelligent or crafty enough to put that together, but, you know, he can screen print his own suit and... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's got mad sewing skills, apparently, but... I I guess. Yeah. I'm not... Not one hundred percent as to why Ramy went with the the organics, other than I guess he just didn't want to have to deal with it or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, I think also it lent more towards Ramy's um, you know horror background. You know, your body suddenly transforming on you and having weird stuff coming out of it. Like, yeah, it certainly that would be kind of me. <laughs> that would be horrifying. Yeah. So for context, um, I was. Four when this movie came out. So I was probably four or five the first time I saw this movie. And I was not prepared. Like, I definitely had seen like some Spider-Man cartoons and been like, oh, okay, yeah, that's Spider-Man. But then to see his like naked wrist with the web shooting out of it was a lot for four-year-old Abby. <laughs> um, anyway, but, uh... we, yeah, we get the montage of him gaining his powers and that beautiful sequence on the roof where he's trying out a bunch of different, you know, superhero uh, shout-outs. I mean, I think at one point he even says Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> go, yeah. Web, go was my favorite. Yep. <laughs> Fly! <sighs> how, uh, how much mm, of that was that... ad-libbed by Tobey Maguire? I've got to believe that it, at least half of it was not scripted. Um, they, I, they're yeah. just like, hey, get up on this roof, make a bunch of weird hand gestures, and say some weird off-the-wall crap, and we're going to keep what we think is funny. And they thought right. 80% of what he gave them was funny. So, um, And then while we've got our hero figuring himself out, we've got our villain starting to manifest. Mm-hmm. We've, got, uh, we've got egotistical genetics tycoon Norman Osborn. Uh, being very particular about these genetics tests and he's under a lot of stress to get um, projects for I believe it was the DOD going because you know, it was a lot of money and they aren't working out um, and then he tests that stuff on himself because that's, that's what, what you do, do. <laughs> when you're an egotistical maniac we haven't seen this one before. The scientist using his own experimental, uh, his own experimental crazy juice to give himself mad superpowers. Uh, yeah. He goes fairly insane almost instantly after almost dying. Uh, and the the doctor who had it was the same doctor who had said we need to go back to Formula who was helping him inject mm-hmm. himself. And after giving him uh, chest compressions, he starts his heart and then uh, is vaporized by the goblin killed by the goblin uh we don't fully see him i think most of it happens in smoke screen uh, but we hear the laugh and i gotta say uh willem dafoe does creepy like none other and i was genuinely terrified of willem dafoe as a child um poor the man is one of the nicest people and yet i got it does. yeah He's so, he does he seems, terrifying. He seems, like, I would definitely love to sit down and have a drink with Willem Dafoe, but I don't think, even as an adult, I could go sit in a room by myself with Willem Dafoe <laughs> without being at least a little bit scared. Okay. That is to say, if Willem Dafoe wants to come on our interview, we would love to have you. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, mad respect, and I, I mean, there is no one else to play the Green Goblin for me. I feel like every other 
guy to take on that role was living up to Willem Dafoe. He was creepy and menacing and intense, but then, you know, when he's Norman, he's sweet and kind and just completely different, and that shows a depth of acting that is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mad respect, therefore. After Norman injects himself with the, I don't want to call it the goblin juice, but that is what it is. <laughs> that is what yeah, it is. I forget what... Uh forgetting what it was called. I, I think it Oz was formula. something like that. It was like the, it was like, it was a super soldier serum without calling it a super soldier serum. Right. Um, anyway, we get back to Peter, who's kind of discovering his powers and he's designing his suit uh, because he sees this thing in the newspaper for these underground fights where you can win a lot of money if you can last three minutes in the ring with this guy. <laughs> And so he builds the suit, and they go through the, the montage of him designing the suit and, and then making it. And the picture that he draws in his notebook and the thing he ends up wearing to this cage fight. Uh, are two very different things. I call this the first one, the first suit that he wears. Like, it would be like if you gave a picture of Spider-Man to a toddler and then gave them some red and blue clothes and a black marker and said, make this. Right. Uh, very homemade, very rustic, very um, not knowing what he's doing yet. And he goes in, and they're like, "Oh, you're you're not you're not signing up for the big fight, are you?" And he's like, "Yeah, sign me up." And she's like, and the the lady at the reception, she's like, "All right, you're." She's pretty much like, "All right, your funeral. If you die, you die." <laughs> <laughs> she sees this little skinny high school guy in a dorky suit walk up, and this guy's gonna die. And I think that's a fair assessment, uh, just looking oh, at yeah. him, because he's still very much gangly, dorky Peter Parker, even though he's got virtually super strength and super enhanced abilities, reflexes, and the spider powers, climbing walls. And But he signs up for this fight against Bonesaw! <laughs> uh, uh, this, if this had been handled any other way... And this would have been Camp City. Yet somehow it was played with just enough seriousness to, <laughs> like, to be funny without being a character. It was, I mean, it's just golden. This I mean, whole scene. I so loved the crowd. Um, they did not get, I know they didn't get paid enough because they were for it. They were into it. And I genuinely enjoyed this fight scene as much as it made me laugh. Um, so first of all, Peter does not realize that this is going to be a cage fight. Uh, so they are caged in and he's flipping out. He's like, they're closing me in. I don't know, he's legitimately trapped in here with this big guy. And he's, he's, uh, he needed the brown pants for sure. Uh, in those first couple of minutes, he's freaking out. And Bonesaw is hype. He's ready. He sees this skinny teenager and he's like, I'm going to wipe the floor with him. It's going to be cake. I'm gonna earn my check. I'm not even earning my check tonight. This is like gimme. Um, and he, you know, it, it's. Just, I have words for this. Uh, they go into this fight, and for the first couple of hits, Peter's just eating it. You know, bone saws, <laughs> clotheslining him, and throwing him around, and um, eventually. Uh, once he relaxes a little bit and kind of lets his spidey instincts take over, he's able to start quipping. And the thing I love about Spider-Man is that's kind of his shtick. While he's fighting, he's keeping you off balance by 
making jokes and cracking wise and making fun of you. And that's always been a fun part of Spider-Man. And you get to see it here even in its in his beginning phases. He gets comfortable and he starts cracking some jokes. Um, one of them was it probably wouldn't fly these days with modern um, sensors and sensitivities. But he, you know, he cracks a gay joke and, uh, towards Bonesaw. And I... Didn't recall that when I was uh, when I went back to watch this film, but then when I saw it, I said, "Oh yeah, that that was in there, wasn't it?" Um, but yeah, he eventually he, he uses his powers. He cli- he starts climbing the, <laughs> climbing the cage. Uh, Bone saw gets. Why don't handed, you come up uh, here and fight me like a spider? <laughs> uh, he throws a chair at him. He gets a chair thrown at him at one point. So this is like WrestleMania meets extreme cage fighting and then also the comic element of spider-man crawling all over the walls and um genuinely freaking the guy out because at this point he's like this this dude's not human um he can climb walls and he's (laughs) kicking my butt and he's a third of my size what's going on um and spider-man is canonically extremely strong so even being a little guy he's hitting like a mac truck in in this fight yep um, proportional strength of a spider. Yes, which so, extremely strong. Uh, he ends up knocking out Bonesaw, and the crowd starts cheering for Spider-Man. And he initially hated the name because he wanted to be called the Human Spider. Yeah, and I, I got to say, Bruce Campbell talked him out of that. Yes, he did, and I think <laughs> we all thank him for it because uh, I don't think. You'd be seeing lines out out the door and around the building for the human spider. That is a completely different film and a lot more <laughs> horrifying. I, I think they call that the one the human centipede, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we get our first match and the cash for doing it. And he's there to, like Peter had gone there to get money to help out Uncle Ben and Aunt May. So you know, he gets his money. But it's not what was uh, advertised. He gets yeah. mad cheated. And the and the promoter basically says, well, the ad said all this money for three minutes and you knocked him out in two. So here you go and take it and take it and be happy with that. Um, yep. And as Peter's leaving, a guy runs in with a gun and holds the promoter up at, at gunpoint and basically tells him, you need to give me all the money and, or I'm going to kill you. And yeah, the promoter looks to... Spider-Man and, and goes, oh, can you, you, you gotta help me, that guy's making off with all my money, and, uh, you know, Peter's put out that he didn't get paid, and, and he goes, I, I don't remember that being my problem, <laughs> and he lets him go. Yeah. And it ends up really biting him in his spider butt. Yeah. So, Peter had lied to his Uncle Ben to get to the place, and so Peter makes his way back to the original meeting point that he was supposed to meet his uncle at. And there's cops in a crowd and uh, finds the center of it all is because his uncle is sitting, laying there on the sidewalk and he's been shot. The car's gone. And, you know, because Uncle Ben had been carjacked while waiting for Peter. And that makes Peter very angry and he goes off uh, trying to catch the guy. Eventually, he gets gets ahead of the cops. He finds the guy, takes him out, finds out, oh, you were the guy who just held up the promoter cool if i had just done the right thing 30 minutes beforehand none of you this wouldn't have killed happened. my uncle yeah. <laughs> and this is i mean this is it's a formative moment for him in the comics and it's a formative moment for him um across 
all of his appearances in film for the most part. And we'll talk about all that in later shows. But this is kind of his big moment where he goes, okay, this is serious. I failed to act. And now I have a responsibility to act so that something like this doesn't happen to someone else. Um, And then we get another kind of montage of him making his new suit and then starting to do hero work around the city and trying to help people in the neighborhood. Friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yep. Uh, Go on. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, So we get to then see, again, Norman Osborn as, you know, as his other darker side. Uh, He's... And he he goes and destroys an experiment by Quest Aerospace and kind of causes a lot of people to die uh, because he's, you know, his company is on the verge of being outcompeted by another company doing the same type of work. And they are also on the verge of cutting funding for his. So if he no longer has competition, uh, his company can continue to work. And, you know, the Goblin probably doesn't want to lose uh, his standing as the CEO of one of the biggest companies with military funding. So yeah, and right after that is Peter's graduation. And he's, you know, he's graduating high school, he's going to get ready to go to go to college. And um, then he, you know, continues to do Spider-Man stuff. And then we get to see J. Jonah Jameson. And hmm. he, hmm. I think, becomes one of the most iconic guys in in this movie, he becomes a very beloved character for some, and one of the most memeable characters as well. Um, if I had a dime for every Spider-Man meme that came out of these movies, and specifically J. Jonah Jameson, uh, I would I would probably have a better setup here <laughs> for, my, <laughs> for my podcast. So, um, yep. so he's and you gotta yeah. love you gotta love J.K. Simmons in that role. He's I fantastic, mean, so good. He's just perfect. He owns the role for sure. There was really no one else for it, and and we do get to see him again later, which I was really happy about as well. Um, but he wants to start covering Spider Man, or his the Daily Bugle wants to start covering Spider Man because he's news. He's around the city. Everyone's talking about him, so they want to get him on the paper. But nobody can get good pictures of him because he moves too fast, and nobody knows where he's going to show up. So all the photos are blurry, far away, they look terrible. And so he runs an ad saying, you know, I'll pay lots of cash for pictures of Spider-Man. And who better to take pictures of Spider-Man than Spider-Man himself? Yup. Ethically questionable, but, you know, it's New York and it's time to pay the rent. Yeah, yeah, you got rent money to make, you got pizza money to make, and, Mm -hmm. you know, that spandex suit didn't cost nothing. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, spandex is not cheap. <laughs> I can't imagine it was any cheaper back in 2002. Mm. Uh, anyway, so he, he starts fighting crime and setting up his cameras and manages to snap a few photos of himself. And Jameson basically says, these photos are crap, but they're the only ones that are halfway decent where you can see Spider-Man. So he ends up paying him and he's, you know... He reiterates that he's a freelancer and he's not an official employee of the Daily Bugle and whatever. You know, he's like, eh, you know, I don't want you here. You're not working here. Uh, but I think Peter's just happy f- to be paid and <laughs> have mm-hmm. the photography job that he wanted while also still being able to be Spider-Man. And with the, like, like we had discussed in the X-Men movies, there's a lot of characters in the X-Men movies. It's an ensemble team. Mm-hmm. And you have to split a lot of your screen time at least a little bit to to get everybody here we can really dive into your personal relationships 
and it's during this like bits that Peter's still trying to work uh, through his feelings for Mary Jane. You see his friendship with Harry kind of going sideways with both of them at the same time because his responsibilities as Spider-Man are getting in the way of a real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's late to Thanksgiving and everyone's saying, you know, where's Peter? Where Where is he? Where is he? Um, and Spider-Man ends up getting into a conference um, with the Green Goblin shortly before um, the Thanksgiving and he ends up getting a cut on his arm in, in, during that fight. Um, there had earlier in the film there had been an offer from the Green Goblin to Spider-Man to work together, and uh, you know Spider-Man he flatly says, turned that down. He says no. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to work with you. You're insane. And in order to get that answer out of him, the Goblin lights a building on fire, and it knows that Spider-Man's going to come and save everyone. And uh, after Spider-Man saves a baby. He ends up hearing some more screaming from the building, but it's not a lady. Surprise! It's the Green Goblin <laughs> screaming, wearing a wearing a hood to pretend to be a lady. Um, and then the you know he basically says, "No, I'm not going to join you." And um, during the fight, he sustains a very large cut on his arm. And then you know the Goblin ends up escaping, and then goes back to being Norman, and then goes to Thanksgiving with his family. And Peter shows up. Uh, you know, kind of shortly after and kind of covers up, makes sure to sneak in. And uh, he has the cranberry sauce, the all-important cranberry sauce, in a can. Uh, it was I mean... The, it was the canned cranberry sauce for me, not going to lie. I love the stuff, but that was fun. <laughs> it was funny to see. Um, you know, he goes downstairs and then Aunt May notices that he's bleeding through his sleeve and then she pulls up his sleeve and Norman sees the cut. And in that moment, uh, he knows that Peter is Spider-Man. And yeah, and that that reveal that tension was that was very well done. Very well done, um, because it was you know you could tell on Willem Dafoe's face. You know, he he does a great job acting without saying it, um, mm-hmm. because you can just and see it in his face that he's like, I realize now who you are and what you're hiding, and now I know who to come after to hurt you. Well, and also he had he had really admired. Uh, Norman had really admired Peter. He had mm-hmm. actually liked him more than his own son. Yes. Because Peter was the scientist and the, the smart man who, who wanted to change the world. He saw a lot of himself, because he's an egotistical maniac, in himself in Peter. Mm-hmm. And so to find out that Peter Parker, this this boy that he, he admires more than his own son, and Spider-Man, this thing that seems to be getting in his way all the time, are one and the same... Yeah, it drove him a little bit more nuts. Mm-hmm. Because Norman doesn't want to hurt Peter. As like like you had said, it's well established that Norman admires Peter. And as Norman Osborn definitely cared about Peter. Um, you know, he was willing to help him get a job when he was when he was fired and, you know, was saying you should come work for Oscorp, all that kind of stuff. And was just mm-hmm. generally genuinely very kind to Peter, you know, even as more than just his son's best friend. And the goblin obviously wants to get Spider-Man out of the way, so he's saying, you know, all right, so we now we can go after everything that he cares about to destroy him, uh, which he ends up doing. He ends up uh, going to Aunt May's, and he terrifies her, and then he ends up putting Mary Jane in the path of danger, and, you know, mm-hmm. basically just goes after all the important people in Peter's life in order to make him miserable for not wanting to, if you're not going to join me, then I'm going 
end you and everything you care. And it's very telling as to Osborne's relationship with his own son on that one as well. Um, because neither Osborne nor the Goblin consider Harry for for anything. Mm-hmm. The Goblin doesn't go after him to try to hurt Peter uh, or Spider-Man. And Osborne literally doesn't care about him. Mm-hmm. I mean, man, <laughs> to be hated by both personalities and from your father that's that's a new low mm-hmm. and uh, i mean he does manipulate his son a bit because he says you know you know that peter's in love with your girlfriend and she's kind of into him and you know, harry doesn't really want to believe it and eventually while peter and mary jane are visiting aunt may at the hospital he kind of walks in on them holding hand while it may not have been as romantic as he read the situation to be after hearing that from his father, it does start to put that doubt into his head. And that gives the goblin a chance to further uh, break apart Peter's personal, interpersonal relationships with the people he cares about. Because now, you know, the goblin's gone after Aunt May, the goblin's gone after Mary Jane. And now Peter's best friend doesn't really want anything to do with him or the, the girl that he likes. And, you know, Peter goes out of his way for Mary Jane as well. Um, but she <laughs> ends up being in love with his alter ego, which was a whole... Don't you just hate that? It's like, oh, she really likes me, but only when I'm in the red and blue spandex. And has no idea who I am. Mm-hmm. Great. It's like she barely sees Peter Parker, but she is absolutely in love with Spider-Man. And I mean, he does, he does keep just showing up whenever she's in trouble. Because Peter is generally in the generally in the vicinity of Mary Jane whenever he has a excuse to be. Um, yeah, well, but, she's also the damsel in distress trope right now. So, mm-hmm. like, oh, for her. Uh, the movie did not give Mary Jane a whole lot. Like it just fell back to okay, uh, I want to be an actress. I want to be famous, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do this, you know, waitressing job to get there. And but the majority of the movie, I am a plot object. Mm-hmm. That is, is an unfortunate side of of the main love interest in superhero, superhero films. Yeah, someone needs saving. You might as well make it the love interest to make it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so we come into the end here. Mm-hmm. The showdown between Spidey and the Goblin. Um, you want to break that one down? So, okay. So what ends up going down between Spider-Man and Green Goblin is that he... He knows at this point. I mean, Peter knows that the Goblin and Norman know that he is Spider-Man. And then he's put into this situation, an almost an impossible situation, where the Green Goblin has a train car full of kids uh, dangling from a wire and Mary Jane. And he basically tells him, you know, who are you going to save? These innocent children, this whole, you know, train full of children, are you going to save the girl that you love? And he ends up dropping both of them at the same time. And miraculously, he manages to uh, catch Mary Jane and also stop the car um, as it's falling. But then very quickly, um, he starts to lose it. It, The web that's holding him up is starting to break because he's holding too much weight. And MJ is terrified out of her mind and he's saying you've got to climb down you've got to climb down and she keeps saying i can't do it and this goes on for a couple of minutes while she's trying to decide if she wants to live or die (laughs) pretty much (laughs) um 
And then she ends up being able to drop down onto the, onto the train car. And then, um, you know, while he's trying to stabilize the whole situation, uh, the Green Goblin's flying around, things are exploding. Um, he's trying to impale him on the glider and kill him. Ends up cutting the spider webs at some point. Um, and then the fight ends up moving into more of a of a enclosed space. Um, they, <laughs> so... Um, Norman is getting the better of Spider-Man until he starts saying, you know, I'm going to kill Mary Jane. Um, and of course, you, you never say that to the hero. <laughs> no. Uh, he gets his uh, second win. Oh, yeah. He gets his second win and gains the upper hand. And then uh, he takes off the mask and, and is staring into Peter's face and basically saying you know don't kill me it's me and you know i've always cared about you and begs for his life pretty much um but it's you know it's the goblin and it's also norman they're fighting over you know control of their mind basically because um they are a duality norman is the very unwilling host to this madness even though he brought it upon himself um and you know, the, the goblin is lining up the glider so that it will fly into Spider-Man and impale him. But because of his spidey sense, um, he's able to jump out of the way in time and then the glider impales the green goblin instead. Um, and then while he's dying, he begs Peter not to tell Harry that he's the green goblin. He doesn't want his son to know uh, what he had done to himself and what he had been doing while not fully in control of himself when the Green Goblin was taking over and acting on his own. Uh, so Peter yeah. ends up, you know, carrying his, you know, I think, you know, his mentor, I guess, and friend and someone that he respected. He ends up carrying his body back to the Osborne house. And all that Harry sees is Spider-Man dropping his father like down onto you know the bed and he believes that spider-man has killed his father um he pulls a gun on him but spider-man escapes and at norman's funeral harry you know he he basically says that he's gonna get vengeance he's gonna get his revenge on spider-man um, because he still blames spider-man for his father's death at the funeral also mary jane confesses to peter that she loves him and um, and unfortunately, as much as Peter wants to be with Mary Jane, he knows that the life of a superhero is not one that lends itself very well to being romantically attached. And he tells her um, they can only be friends. And, you know, as he's leaving, he remembers Uncle Ben telling him that with great power comes great responsibility. And he is responsible for being Spider-Man because he has amazing abilities and he can do things that other people can't. And with those powers, he has the capability to do a greater good and feels that that's what he needs to do. Yep. All right. It's really, yeah. <laughs> that ending That ending was really sad. You know, you finally get the girl, and but you can't have the girl. And it's just... Ugh. Yeah, someone you respect has died because they tried to kill you. <laughs> yeah. And you were put into an impossible situation. Your best friend now hates your alter ego. And on top of that, you have to tell the girl that you love, who has admitted that she loves you back, that you can't be together. All for 
this higher order. Yeah. Well, I call it a sacrifice for something, right? Mm-hmm. But that brings us to the end of the of the movie analysis, and we're going to move into our mid-break and then talk about the comic history a little bit later with Psych. So, anyway, let's go to our mid-break. All right, welcome back from the mid-break. We hope you enjoyed the ads. Um, as that we have... Uh, just put out our first couple episodes. We have not yet gotten any new reviews yet. Um, but if you have left us a starred rating on Spotify, we are greatly appreciative of that. Tell your friends about us. Uh, tell your family about us. Tell anyone you think would enjoy some pop culture Mar- Marvel stuff. Tell tell them about us. We would love to have them listen and discuss whatever whatever is uh, going on out with the fans. Absolutely. Never underestimate the power of word of mouth. Indeed. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, it's uh, at MCU Lorecast on Twitter and MCU Lorecast at gmail.com by email. And we have a Facebook, MCU Lorecast. We've gotten several likes. Uh, I don't know what our, our total like count is, but if you've liked us so far, thank you very much. Yeah, we so and... appreciate all the love and support, and thank you everyone for listening to the show. We know that there are several people out there, a lot in the United States, several in Canada, and even a couple people from India, which we were kind of psyched to see. Yeah, and of course, you can reach us on the Discord uh, Robots Radio server. Um, yeah, we have our, our own channel chat. there. Yeah, we've got our yep. own chat channel, so come and see us there. We're both pretty active on it. I think we both check it every day, and uh, we'll, yeah. we're happy to you know comment back and forth with people. And we love the, all the interaction and all the positive vibes that have been coming with all of that. And everyone on the Robots Radio Network who's been so so supportive, we really send another genuine heartfelt thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> So, you want to talk about the comic history of this very, very important character? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, so, let us get into, of course, first up is introductions. Um, with Again, with a first movie in a franchise, we're going to have several characters. Not going to be like the X-Men. There was only a handful, but you know they were all very important, prominent characters. So, up first is the man himself, Spidey. Uh, he was first introduced in Amazing Fantasy number 15 by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko in June 1962. The I've now included sort of an interesting trivia bit for, for each of these, just to kind of streamline this a little bit. Uh, but the interesting trivia I've got for this one is the uh, With Great Power line that is that has been associated with Uncle Ben was originally used as the final lines from the narrator at the end of the issue. And so it didn't actually come from Uncle Ben. Um, it's just the lesson that he learned from Uncle Ben's death. Over time, it just became culturally like established that ah, this is something from Uncle Ben, and it wasn't until this movie that directly had Ben say the line. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, for the personal life, we've got... Aunt May and Uncle Ben, also both established in Amazing Fantasy number 15. Uh, so, I didn't know this, uh, so I thought this was cool, and I'm sure other people do, but May actually stands for something. It stands for Mabel. I had no idea. Did you know that, Wanchenko? 
I had no idea that her name was short for Mabel. Um, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, she's been, I, I think everyone just knows her as Aunt May, and I just thought she was May Parker. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, there's that one. For Uncle Ben here, this one's very interesting, to me at least. He is one of, like, the only characters that is not allowed to come back. For him, death is permanent, not a vacation. <laughs> now, they used to say that about Bucky, and they said that one for a very long time. We'll talk about that later, but he was one of the others that was on that list until uh, very recently. But yeah, um, the original Uncle Ben is not allowed to come back. Now, they've pulled in time-displaced Uncle Ben's, they've other reality Uncle Ben's, but they always either go have to go back or they go into obscurity like a forgotten plot point so but the original is never allowed to come back he dead dead he's dead how dead is he dead 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 <laughs> all right mary jane watson everyone's favorite redhead her full appearance was in amazing spider-man number 42 in august 1966 by lee and john Rometta jr Interesting trivia for her is that her first mention was in Amazing Spider-Man number 15 in August 1964 with a cameo in number 25 in 1965. It took two years of teasing this character for her to come back, like to be fully fleshed out into the comic book world. I mean, I don't know of anything else that is like that would take that much time to build on on that yeah no every other cameo that i personally know of for first appearances in the comics they happen pretty consecutively like um i know specifically for you know crossbones he appears in the bloodstone hunt number three or something and then his full appearances in the bloodstone home uh bloodstone hunt part four of six um so you know his cameo happens one book before his full appearance uh, so to wait two years for someone who ends up becoming so important to the character of Spider-Man, that's... In mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I thought that was just nuts, really. All right, so we've, uh, we've got Harry Osborn. His first appearance was Amazing Spider-Man number 31 in September 1965 by Lee and Ditko. And unfortunately, he doesn't really come with a whole lot of trivia. As important as a character as he is... In all honesty, he has more characterization in other media than he actually has gotten, unfortunately, in the main line. So the so the movies the movies and the shows liked him better than the the comics. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and finally, we have our uh, antagonist, Norman Osborn. This one is very interesting because first was got was the Green Goblin. Amazing Spider-Man number 14, April 1964, Lee and Ditko again. We don't get Norman until number 23 in 65, January. And Lee and Ditko argued over who the Goblin should actually be. Like, it wasn't even established that when they made the Green Goblin, that that would have been Norman Osborn at the time. Yeah. So, it's, that's, uh, that's very interesting to me that they would have... They would have done that. But comic books are a very fluid medium. Uh, you get staff changes, uh, editors change, artists change, writers come and go. Uh, so sometimes a plot point that you were building up to 
just doesn't come because uh, the new editor that came in while issue 3 came out, well, he doesn't like that new direction, so issue 4 has to completely change directions. That happens. Uh, but for as for as prominent as the Green Goblin now has become, it's very interesting that all the way back then, no one really knew who was going to be under that mask when it was put into print. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, the... as, as other like just other trivial bits and stuff the organic webbing this was introduced actually in the movie and then briefly brought over into the comic book line he uh they had spider-man kind of go through a whole power uh recycle reset sort of thing and oh hey now i've got organic stuff and and whatnot it it helped the comic book line fall more in line with the popularized film thus making it easier to sell books I think we see that a lot, um, where the the films start influencing what the stylistic choices and the books forward. Because um, I, I know I remember before, um, you know, right before some of the Captain America movie character models started to mimic the the costuming and the care and the and the actors. We, of course, to to sell books, I think, but then also to I suppose uh, merge the continuity. Yeah, it's because um, you. You definitely see this. We will definitely talk about it uh, with the Avengers mm-hmm. line of comic books. Stuff had been happening in the comics, the uh, and everything, and so when they brought them all back, it it was very important to Marvel for it to mirror what was going on in the real world. Mm-hmm. So we see that here several years before even the idea. I'm going to say the idea of a Marvel. Well, I'm, I'm, I keep saying that the idea of a Mar- of an Avengers line was out there just not i'm going to say not as what we now know it as uh anyway the i say briefly uh there was another big reset we'll talk about it because it is one of the most reviled comic book stories in i'm going to say comic book fandom and that's going so that's going to include you know marvel and dc and trust me there's plenty to hate on both sides but this is one of the it was one of the most hated storylines ever but after that they reset him again and they gave him back his web shooters um interesting movie trivia was uh because you know, uh, this was important for when the film came out 2002 right uh it you know it stars new york city and one of the big big things about new york city at the time of filming was the twin towers they cut any and all scenes with the twin towers uh you can still find on youtube the original trailer that has Spidey swinging between them or, and, or around uh, the flag at the top or something. Mm-hmm. But they cut all of that from the movie out of respect, which was nice. But then also they folded in some patriotic symbolism with Spidey that just got more and more blatant as the films go on. Yeah. They kind of, yeah, it's like, it's not as if Marvel didn't have Captain America. I I know, right? Like, (laughs) if we needed, if the entertainment world felt like we really did need a patriotic symbol to rally behind and and really show off our American nationalism. Why not literally Why did it take another 10 years? (laughs) I say 10. uh, Whenever Captain America was finally, like, greenlit. But it took a really long time to get... Um, you know, Captain America. We got that one with the the guy from Starship Troopers in like 
the early 90s or whatever with the the rubber ear cap suit that gives me nightmares to this day. Okay, so yeah, that's that was one of the reasons why superhero movies were also not particularly well liked. Yeah. That whole those whole two <laughs> movies are are an editing disaster and just not again, it was made I'm I'm saying this this is in a personal opinion, but it feels like it was made by people who were handed a comic book and said, "Okay, we need a movie based on this." And so re- really not a whole lot of uh of love for for the material was presented. It was just, "We need to make a movie. Here it is." Oh, that red skull and, from that movie. <laughs> and for my final bit, it's um Spider-Man represents two different eras of scientific thought and fears. When Spider-Man was made, uh, initially in the comic books, he was bitten by a radioactive spider that had gotten, uh, you know, changed via radioactive waves and stuff, and it bit him and gave him his powers. Again, 1962. Uh, As I said during the X-Men movie, or during the X-Men bit, the fear of radiation and the bomb and everything was still very prevalent. So to use that for your comic book heroes was just what you did, you know, because that it was science that just the common man just didn't understand Mm -hmm. and could be used to do whatever you wanted with it. We will definitely do talk about it all over again when we come up with like the Hulk and other characters. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, the, you know, original, he's bit by a radioactive spider. They changed that in the update. You know, now we, you know, we fast forward 40 something years. Radioactivity is fairly understood, but oh, hey, you know what the new big thing is? Genetic modification. So how about we just do gene editing on these spiders? One gets loose and it bites and it bites Peter. Yeah, we see that. I think this is another uh, moment of media reflecting the art reflecting the real world. Media reflecting the real world. I mean, because during the Cold War, all the bad guys in the movies were Russian. During World War II, all the bad guys in the movies were German, and you know, so on and so forth. Sure. So you know, to have those books coming out not even twenty years removed from the bombings at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, that is still that was still a prevalent fear, and and like you said, something misunderstood by the people. So using what was going on in the world to bring a real life scenario to something as out there as comic book media probably made it a lot more understandable and attainable to the people viewing the media at the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To change it to genetic modification just made sense, and also, you know, we had just had uh, X Men drop. Right, mm-hmm. and that was again more genetics, more uh, more science that just the John Q. Citizen just eh, doesn't quite get, mm-hmm. and that it made it okay. Uh, like, of course, if you get bit by a genetically modified spider, you're not going to get superpowers. <laughs> like, I, I can't stress that enough. Don't go raiding these genetic labs and trying to figure out what's going on and more than likely you're not going to like what you find there any so please don't stick your hand in the cage with the sketchy spiders you're not going to become spider-man you're probably just going to (laughs) die yeah um also you know just genetic modification isn't something to be scared of Mm -hmm. a lot of times it is beneficial yes and also we've been doing it for thousands of years 
if you like mustard, then you like genetic modification. It's that's cross, you know, it's crossbreeding and uh, trait uh, trait sampling to create a plant that is mustard. Yeah. If you like your dog, guess what? That's genetic modification. That is trait selecting and going. Oh, yeah, this thing with the short the shortened snouts. Yeah, I like that a lot more than the long snouts. How about we? Just keep breeding the short snouts until you come up with the pug. That's how you get there. This takes a long time. Um, uh, broccoli is a man-made vegetable. Yep. Yeah, it didn't exist long, long, long time ago. That was uh, bred for and, uh, you know, over generations. So, So yeah, uh, I've, of course, I got opinions on it. But it's as much as I love this media, uh, this entertainment also, it continues to perpetuate scientific illiteracy and as someone who really loves science and and everything to to continue to watch that happen just it just hurts after a while and it's it makes for um intelligent discourse incredibly hard yeah if ever if people are basing their facts about science on science fiction that's kind of a offshoot uh, variation of science and, and, a, and a misrepresentation of science because oftentimes science fiction is going to take elements of real science but bend them to suit the medium and to suit whatever mm-hmm. plot they see this often um and and every every science fiction is guilty of this to some extent um where they'll take of something, course. you know, that generally that, that your average person will not understand scientifically and make it into something else for the sake of pushing their plot or whatever their story. Oh, yeah. So, uh, and like science based yeah. MacGuffin is always going to be a thing. And you can be inspired by science to create incredible science fiction. And then that science fiction can go on to inspire science to to do incredible things. Uh, you know, we look at Star Trek and the personal communicator, that's the precursor to the cell phone. You know, like, that that line can be easily drawn. Stuff like that. But when people just accept what is being told to them via entertainment as scientific literature, that's where I draw my line. Mm-hmm. Like, go out, read something, come up with your own thought. Anyway, uh, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this, but we, I shouldn't make this entire thing about it. That is all I have for my end, unless you have any questions. I mean, we do have two other Spider-Man films before we're through with this series. Uh, True. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I don't necessarily have any questions because I, I feel like we're going to get into a lot of the topical analysis through the other films because uh, ultimately, you know, this one, Spider, this original Spider-Man, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, it's extremely nostalgic. And I feel like this is one of those movies where, you know, maybe we tread carefully because it's such an important film to so many. Um, that being said, I do have my feelings uh, moving forward, Spider-Man 2 and um this, you know, I think... Oh, we uh, all have... <laughs> we all have feelings on three. Oh, yeah. Okay? <laughs> like, um, but this one, woof. you know, I think for... Especially for the time, it really is... It's a it's a good time. It's a good superhero film. Um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I, you know, when you, when you say, I'm going to put on um, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, and you say, I'm going to put on the first one, I don't think very many people who even generally just like superhero movies are going to have a problem with Spider-Man. And, you know, other than a few grievances with a couple moments of CGI, um, I remember while I was re-watching this movie, I was sitting on the couch with my boyfriend, and there's a scene where a very CGI Spider-Man runs up a wall and dodges some stuff that's falling, and I, and I just went, oh my god, the CGI, and my boyfriend's like, come on, it's 2002. And I'm like, <laughs> while that's fair, X1 is two years older, and mm-hmm. did it just as well, if not better. <laughs> yeah. Or, or the favorite is, you know... Uh, Spidey's just saved MJ right and her <laughs> hair is going in the wrong direction of the background. And the Spider-Man yeah, so like, is a mannequin in a spider suit. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's just not moving at all. So, like, <laughs> like, that whole bit is just... It's a little hard to rock. Uh, it's a little hard to watch. That is for certain. But, but if those, those are your, blemishes yeah. aside... If those are your major you grievances, know, overall, you fault it too much. There's superb characterization, uh, you know, because we didn't have other people to compare him to. So at the time, Tobey Maguire really did both sides as well as could be expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had very little, very little to go off of because prior to this, there was what? Like a really, really bad... Spider-Man live action that was not done very seriously. Um, maybe right. maybe a cartoon, and then the comics. Oh, there were several cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, leading up to Spidey, there was Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, which was uh, Iceman and um, Firestar. So that was that one. There was also the Fox uh, Spider-Man cartoon that you know I grew up with. You know that ran alongside the Fantastic Four, Iron Man, and uh, and the X-Men cartoon. So you had several other medias going on mm-hmm. before this movie came out. Yeah. And uh, I think there was a like a bootleg Japanese Spider-Man wasn't there. I I have no idea. I don't yeah, I don't keep track of the bootlegs. No. But uh no, I think Toby did a great job and what I've um and, and this is an opinion that's going to span every time we talk about Spider-Man cuz I think we have like a, a total of 7 separate Spider-Man movies that we'll end up talking about over the span of forever. Um, uh, hang on. So there's three, two, and three. So Eight. 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 Eight, eight Spider-Man eight. movies, eight legs on a spider. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel couldn't have done better if they tried. <laughs> no. Um, I think, so where I'm at with Spider-Man and as far as Tobey Maguire, um, I had always maintained that Tobey Maguire is my favorite iteration of Peter Parker himself. Uh, I think he did the nerdy, uncomfortable, dorky, um, that kid definitely gets picked on kind of guy <laughs> very, very well. Um, especially in Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I feel that Andrew Garfield was not necessarily given a fair run, and we'll we'll get talking about him when about his movies, but highlight. I think he did Spider-Man very well, but his Peter Parker is like, all right, this kid's like too good looking to for me to believe that he gets actively bullied at school. Um, I don't know about the good, like, like, I don't know if his looks is what kept him from being bullied. He was just too cool. Yeah. Like, he was slick. He, he, yeah. And I mean, he's 
don't get me wrong. He's very. He was a very good. Look, uh, he is a very good looking guy, but he didn't uh, do, like. He wasn't. I don't know if that, his looks uh, is what kept him from being bullied in of itself. Yeah, he was just you know very clever, quick witted, and I feel like had someone like his Spider Man or his Peter Parker gone to my school, he would have been everyone's best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I feel like Tom Holland did a good job of blending the two, but to give distinction to Tobey Maguire. I think he did a great job as Peter Parker. Just I, I stand by behind that one pretty well too. Like, and the rest of the cast obviously did very well. Yeah, as well, I think but. this is a very nostalgic cast. I think a lot of people that are thinking about Spider-Man, maybe not necessarily now that there is a whole group of people that are you know a little bit younger than you or I who know maybe the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man first, and then a good portion of people who consider Tom Holland their Spider-Man. At least for me, and I think a lot of people in my age bracket and a little older consider Tobey Maguire their Spider-Man. And J. Jonah Jameson, you know, that J.K. Simmons is the guy. (laughs) Um, And, I mean, I don't... I have not liked an iteration of the Green Goblin better than um, better than Willem. He did an incredible. I don't know of another after. I don't know of another iteration after him that's live action. I'm familiar with all. I say all a number of the other goblins in the cartoons, but uh, Dane and, I mean, Dane you know. DeHaan played him in the Amazing Spider-Man films, and. Props and respect as actors and everything to Dane DeHaan, but to, and we'll talk, like like I've said a hundred times, you know, we'll talk about individual films when we get to their films, but in comparison to Willem Dafoe, I think everyone else, unless someone breaks out, someone new, because nobody that's done it in recent years has done it as well as Willem Dafoe, uh, has matched that level of intensity and creepy factor um, because, I mean, like we said, um, Willem Dafoe does creepy like none other. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. All right. Well, before we uh, before we keep running out of time here, any final thoughts, Chenko? I don't think so. I'm looking forward to talking about Spider-Man 2, which will be oh, next yeah. week. Uh, yeah, this, one, this one's one of my favorites as well. I've So, yeah. Uh, we will catch you all next week for our discussion on Spider-Man 2. Take care out there, everybody. See you, everyone. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In 7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration. Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us. Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork pipe men a veteran and friend for the outstanding music our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this and you our fans without whom this would be a vanity project let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on apple or a rating on spotify and to quote stand the man enough said
Hi, welcome to Three Count Thoughts. Let me introduce the crew real quick. Hi, I'm Maverick Stone. I'm Rummer. And I'm Jaxus. Join us as we talk all things wrestling. Each week, we'll take a topic from the wrestling world, knock it around a bit, and then go over the week in wrestling from a strictly fan perspective. We can be found on all major podcast catchers. We can also be found at Three Count Thoughts on both YouTube and Twitter. Or you can send us an email using threecountthoughts at gmail.com. Okay, are you ready? Ring the bell. <laughs>